those guys did a good job, didn't they? All right, they went. Jeff told me he was going to give the ladies a break, and uh, he brought out all the, pulled out all the stops. Did a good job. That's great. Well, take your Bibles this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Great to see you moms here, and dads, you're welcome too. Thank you for being here. Uh, great to see the moms. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 2. I want to spend our time together this morning for just a few minutes and talk about uh, the power of motherly influence in the lives of our children and our young people and really in the lives of our family. We know as parents <clears throat> that uh, raising children can be uh, challenging. If you've had children, you know that. Um, and it really is about influence. It is about what influences their lives, what, what pours into their lives, into their minds and into their hearts. And God created families uh, to be that unique unit where faith and righteousness and justice and fairness and law, God's law is passed from one generation to the next. And I wrote down some things that influence our children uh, through our families and through society. And some of those influences are are positive and some of those influences are negative. Now, let me just give you a few. First of all, in our society today, as we raise our, children's, uh, our children, our young people and moms pour into their lives, uh, we are bombarded today with technology, with movies, TV shows, video games, cell phones, uh, and so many different communication apps that I don't even know them all. I mean, I'm still stuck on texting and email. So, um, and most of the time I just call the phone number so I can talk to someone. Um, but the point is there's all, these, there's all these things that are pouring into our children's lives. And so being a mother and being a parent today is more challenging than ever. Our children are bombarded with violence and immorality and and uh, disrespect for authority all through social media, through movies and videos. And, and uh, I remember as a young fellow in the Navy, uh, you know, ages ago, video games were like ping pong, you know, where the little dot went back and forth and you hit it with the paddle and uh, those kinds of things. But today, video games are, uh, are addictive. They become an addiction and they and I know young people will frown at this, but um, they, they really pour into your mind uh, corruption, many times violence. And, and, I, and I would su suggest that um, much of the violence that we see in society today um, is supported and has a systemic connection to hours and hours and hours of young people on video games where they're killing one another and shooting one another, and it demoralizes and reduces the quality and the value of human life, and so we see that played out in society. So those negative influences are in our children's lives. Um, poor role models. I know today we make idols out of people and singers and movie stars. And, and just because a person, listen very carefully, just because a person is famous in the world's eyes doesn't mean they're smart. Just because a person is famous in the world's eyes doesn't mean they're a good role model. Uh, role models are those men and women who follow Jesus with, with a passion. Those are the people who should be role models. And so we have to be careful who are, who are children and our young people as parents and moms who they hang around with. 
Now, on the flip side of that, there are positive influences in life that as moms and as dads, we should be very focused on. And one of those is Christian fellowship. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 said, iron sharpens iron. We need our young people and our children and our families around other Christians. And as I have said many times as we study the Bible, I want people to surround me and I want to be around people who are going to encourage me to follow Jesus with a greater passion, not less. I don't want people around me to distract me from serving Jesus. I want people that love Jesus to be around me so that they encourage me to be that way as well. And, and nowhere is that more important than in the lives of our children, because understand this, moms and dads, particularly moms, our children are in the formative years when they're very young and when they're very small. And then as they become young people, they need to be taught. They need to be showed the way. A child left to him or herself will, will most of the time end up in trouble. We have to actively teach them. And they need to be surrounded. Secondly, positive influence moms uh, and dads. And I, I will speak to both. Predominantly, it's Mother's Day, and I know. But it, parenting is a, is a team effort. Um, the Bible. We need to teach our children the Bible. We need to teach them at every opportunity. We need to point out from the time they're small and can begin to understand. And we say, son, this is a tree and this is a pine cone and that's a squirrel and this is a raccoon. And God made them. Always connect it to the Bible and to the fact that God created and that he's the one to whom we answer. And in this body of believers, you know, in this local church, we have great emphasis on the children's programs. We have Awana programs and VBS and every possible way to teach children the word of God because you're laying a foundation uh, that they're going to build their entire lives on. So Christian fellowship, the Bible, and then thirdly, we'll dovetail into our passage this morning, is what I call active parenting, active parenting. The things I'm going to say here, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I've, I've raised two children to adulthood, and I have a 15 and a 16-year-old. God willing, they will survive to be adults as well. Um, just depends on how they act, but yes, hopefully they will survive to become adults. Listen, moms and dads, parenting is not a spectator sport. It's easy. Listen, I know, again, I have four. The easy way is to let them do their thing. The easy way is to let the video games babysit them. The easy thing is to let the movies babysit them. The easy thing is to... The easy thing is to let them be occupied with whatever keeps them busy so you don't have to deal with them. You say, oh, I would never do that to my kids. Yes, you would. Because life's busy. We're working. Most parents, both parents work in the home. The mom works outside the home. The dad works outside the home. And if you, you find a way that the kids stay occupied, you're happy with that. That won't work. Parenting requires active participation. You say, what does that mean? It means this. In our home, this is what it means. As a dad and as a mom, the buck stops with us. And we set the, we set the positive influence in their life, and, and it's non-negotiable. Our kids know that there are things they can do and there are things they can't do. And I'm not going to be dissuaded about it. And they will say all the things that kids say, well, dad, everybody else. And you know what my answer is, right? You're not everybody else, you're mine. And I'm responsible for you. And we're not doing that. And they'll want to go out into society and they'll come in with 
society's dress or look or whatever it is. And I tell them, that's not going to work here. Oh, but Dad, I said, look, when you turn 18 and you leave that door and I'm not feeding you anymore, and I'm not closing you anymore, and you don't answer to me anymore, then you do whatever you want to. But until that day comes, if you're sleeping in that bed in there, under this roof, eating this food, you're going to do what I say. Now, some psychologists and psychiatrists today would say, well, you're squishing their personality. No, I'm not squishing it. I'm molding it. They are who God made them to be. I can't change that, okay? But I can certainly mold them in the right direction, which is biblical, which is what I'm supposed to do. And understand this, moms. You are uniquely qualified by God to begin that process. Uniquely qualified by God because you are more connected to your Because they came out of your body. They came from you. God created them in you. And you have more influence over your children than anybody else could have. Even when my kids were little and they got scraped or hurt, they didn't run around going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. They ran, Mama, Mama, Mama. Why? Because Mama could make it all better. So what I'm telling you is the positive influences in our children's lives really begin with you moms and you talking to them about God, and you setting the standards. And dads, it's our responsibility to come alongside and be the head of the home and set the standards in the home for what's allowed and what's not allowed. I'll embarrass Hunter. And listen, I don't want to make anybody mad. The man bun thing. If you wear one, God bless you. It's okay. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible says you can't have one, right? You can have one if you want to but it won't happen in my house. It's just funny, I'm just telling you. Hunter came out one day with his hair up in a wad and a rubber band around it. And I saw him. And I'm gonna tell this story again when he's here in the next service, so he's gonna really like this. I said, what's that on top of your head? He goes, so that's my man bun. I said, one of two things are gonna happen. You're either going to take it down or I'm going to cut it off. <laughs> so he took it down. That's a funny thing, but listen, you're molding them, okay? I want him to be a young man. I want him, I want him to be a man. I don't want him to be confused about who he is. And I want him to be a dad. And I want him to be a husband. And I want him to do it in God's likeness. So we have to mold him. Now, in our passage this morning, there's a woman, Jochebed, very familiar story. You're all going to recognize it. Exodus chapter 2, first four verses, and we'll read them. This woman had a son in the most incredible circumstances, probably the most difficult anyone could imagine, and we'll talk about it. Look at verses 1 to 4. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. And conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took the ark of bulrushes for him, took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and with pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. 
Now, the circumstances, you, this is a very familiar Bible story. You learned it all the way from Sunday school. The background is, you know, Joseph's brothers, Jacob had his boys and they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. He went into Egypt as a slave. God raised him up to be the prime minister of Egypt. Famine came. He was instrumental in preserving his dad, Jacob, and his whole family. And so 70 plus come into Egypt in the land of Goshen. And over several hundred years, God just multiplies them to be uh, over a million people. Well, we're told that another Pharaoh came who did not know Joseph or appreciate all that Joseph had done for Egypt. And this, this Pharaoh and his leadership were afraid of the Hebrews because there were so many of them. And they said, should we go to war with the enemy? And they decided to, to side with our enemy. We would be outnumbered because there's so many of them. So let us deal deceitfully with them. Let us deal wisely with them. And so they enslaved them and they made them hard labor and they made the taskmasters over them, and they and they really enslaved them, but it didn't work. They just multiplied them more, and the reason for that, the Bible says, is God blessed Israel, and God multiplied them. Why? Because God said he would. He told Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed, make it like sand of the sea. Well, God was doing that. He raised a nation out of a handful of people. Well, the Pharaoh then sat down and said, well, you know, we have to do something to slow down the growth of this group of people. So he instituted infanticide. He said, what we're going to do is if it is a girl baby, he told the wives, he said, if it's, a, if it's a girl baby, save the baby alive. But if it's a boy baby, throw them in the river or kill them. Well, the Bible says in Exodus 1.17, you can go home and read it, that the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and they would not kill the boy babies. And so uh, Pharaoh was frustrated. He said, well, the midwives have not done what I asked them to do. So then he took the step of sending his own people, his own soldiers, and they would go throughout Goshen and anywhere there was a new baby boy, they would kill this baby boy. And so they were basically murdering baby boys all over Israel. Now it's in that time, in that scenario, that uh, Amram and Jochebed, uh, who was Moses' mom and dad, they uh, have two children already. They have uh, Aaron who's the oldest, or Miriam, and then they have Aaron, and then now she gets pregnant again. And I can only imagine the, the anxiety and the, and the pressure of thinking if this baby is a girl, all will be well, but if it's a boy, uh, the, the authorities are going to kill it. They're going to they're kill this baby boy. And so the time went along, and sure enough, she was delivered, and it was a baby boy. Now, it says specifically here <clears throat> that when Moses was born, uh, that he was a beautiful child. That could be said of every baby, especially when mom has a baby. It's the most beautiful child she's ever seen, okay? And uh, you hold that baby. But I think it means more here. I, I, I think it means because the Holy Spirit led uh, it to be written in the Bible that way, I think it means that Jochebed recognized a special, something special about this baby, that God had a purpose for this baby. And every indication is, moms, listen, is that Jochebed was a very godly woman, a woman of faith. She trusted God. And Amram, they were both of the tribe of Levi, of whom God would later choose to be the religious leaders of Israel, the tribe that would a high priest would come from. And so here's this godly woman who sees this baby in this very uh, troubled time. Uh, his life is, is really forfeit as soon as he's born because the government has boy babies. You say, how tragic is that, that a, that a leader would do that? 
Well, listen to me very carefully. We do that very thing right now with, with boys and girls. We just do it while they're still in the womb. We just don't wait till they're born. So before we condemn Pharaoh for being some monster, we are the monster. We do it in this country. So Jacobet has this baby boy, and he's beautiful. And I think she knows in her heart that God has a plan for this boy. And so she hides him for three months. Now, for three months, it would have probably been pretty easy because when babies are brand new, they sleep a lot. They eat, they sleep, and you change the diapers. And that's, that's about the extent of it. But after three or four months, what happens? They discover that they can see. And they discover that when I yell, somebody picks me up. And I discover that when I cry, somebody feeds me. And so they start uh, developing a personality like right away. And so it became impossible to hide Moses any, any longer because he's, he's, he's uh, making noise. And it wasn't just the soldiers, but if a neighbor or, or the Egyptians who lived around found out or heard a new baby, somebody would turn them in. And so she knew that it was just a matter of time before somebody would find out that she had this new baby uh, and would kill him. So she prayed, no doubt, and she came up with a plan. And the plan is in verses 3 and 4. She took this ark, this uh, ark of bulrushes from the river there, and she she made it waterproof with pitch and the asphalt, and she put him in the, in the reeds next to the river bank, and she had uh, his older sister, Miriam, stand at a distance so nobody would think she was connected to the process to watch what would happen to him. Now think about that plan for just a minute. Now I know we know how it turns out, so we think that was a great plan, but was that really a, a great plan? I mean... Think about it now. I got to do something with this baby. So I know. Let me make this basket and we'll put some stuff on it so it won't sink. And I'm going to set him in the river among the weeds. And then we're going to stand there and watch what happens. Hmm. I don't know. That's probably not the plan I would have come up with. How about you? Here, listen, I think when I read this, and of course, all the years I've read it, I believe she had prayed. I believe, I believe she and Amram had prayed. And I think the whole plan was she knew, where, she knew where Pharaoh's daughter took a bath. It was probably a private area. I'm sure everybody just couldn't go there because she's royalty and, it's, and she would have guards and the whole deal. So I think she's very intelligent. She's prayed and she says, Lord, if this boy is going to live, you're going to have to intervene in his life. Lord, if this boy is going to live, I'm giving him to you. You're going to have to do something. For this boy, you're going to have to interact. And the only thing I can do is try to set it up where somebody will find him and spare him and have mercy on him, but you will have to move somebody to do that. I would suggest today, moms, that if you really want your children to have a chance in life, you've got to start praying over them and for them from the beginning. From the beginning. I mean, from the time they're conceived until they're born. Uh, for, for our children that Sherry bore physically, and we prayed over them since we found out she was with child. We prayed over them for their whole lives. We prayed for them, for their mates, for their, for their careers, for what they would do from the time we knew they were conceived. I think uh, Jochebed was that kind of mom. I think she was praying over Moses and, and said, Lord, I'm going to do this thing, but really you're going to have to do the saving. I'm just going to set it up where, 
where maybe somebody can find him and maybe somebody can have mercy on him. And so she goes through this whole process. Now she, she thought through it pretty well. She set it in the weeds so it wouldn't drift off in the river. And she set it close enough to the bank where somebody could watch it. So she didn't really just be careless about it. And sure enough, uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to take a bath. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. What an incredible thing here. Pharaoh's daughter goes down to take a bath, and her maidens, her assistants, they see the basket in the reeds, and they, she sends them over to get it. And, and never a more opportune moment for a baby to cry is ever in history than right here. Uh, what happens to a woman when a baby cries? She melts. When a baby cries, what's a woman's first instinct? To pick up the baby and console it. And so just at the right time, God had baby Moses start crying. Just at the right moment. And isn't it amazing that it doesn't indicate he was crying until they opened the basket? That's pretty amazing because I would think a baby in a basket stuck in the middle of the river with nobody around might be whimpering or might not be happy. But Moses didn't cry. He didn't make a sound until she opened the basket. He began to cry. Then she had what? Compassion on the child. And she knew right away that this was a Hebrew baby. Now think about that for a moment. This is a crisis moment in Moses' life. She could have done one of two things. She could have said, this is a Hebrew baby, and my dad said that we got to kill all these Hebrew baby boys, so chunk him out in the river. She could have done that. Matter of fact, that's what you might expect from Pharaoh's daughter, right? Because she's part of the, part of the leadership of the country, and that's the law of the land, and that's what she's supposed to do. Ah, but she's like most kids. She's a little rebellious. And she had compassion on the baby. And she really wasn't worried too much about what dad said. And she said, you know, this baby's crying and I need somebody to take care of him. And in her, in her compassion for this baby, she was moved to take care of him, to help him. As a matter of fact, it's even more than that. She decided in that moment, I'm going to adopt this baby. Now, I, I, that's amazing in itself right there. Think about it for a minute. This baby's in a basket. She goes down to take a bath. She opens the basket. The baby's crying. Her heart has compassion on him. No doubt she takes him out of the basket, holds him. This is a Hebrew baby. She can throw him in a river or she can keep him. And she goes, not only am I going to keep him, but I'm going to adopt him. Now, who can move a person to make that kind of decision? Only God. Who can move a pagan princess who knows not God, Jehovah God, to make the decision to have mercy on a baby she's never seen before, not only to have mercy on it, but to decide, I'm going to adopt this child. Now, why did God move her to do that? Because little did she know that was the baby God had already chosen to be the deliverer of his people from Egypt. How ironic that Pharaoh's own daughter was spared a life of the child who would grow up and be the deliverer of the people from Egypt. God's pretty good at this, isn't he? God's pretty good at moving the pieces around in life so that it happens the way he wants it to happen. 
Not only did Moses become adopted by this woman and spared his life as a baby, but he was going to get the finest of educations. He's going to go to the university, the schools in Egypt, military training, leadership training, organizational training. Would all those things be valuable later? They are if you're trying to move 1.5 million people out of one country across the desert to another. So Moses, God, was going to raise him up in a place where he could be trained to do exactly what God wanted him to do. The goodness of God. Notice what happened in verse 7. Then his sister Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? Think about this. There were plenty of women in Israel who could nurse this baby. Why? Because the soldiers were going around killing their babies. So she said, can I go get somebody that will nurse this child? Verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. What a great passage. Miriam comes forward, says, uh, if you're going to keep the baby, would you like me to get somebody who can feed him? And of course, Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go find me a nurse. Well, she goes and gets his mother. So Jochebed not only uh, gets her son back, but she gets to bring him back legally now. She gets to feed him and nurse him and take care of him. Oh, and there's a little bonus. Pharaoh said, I'll pay you to feed the baby. And Jochebed's like, okay, if I have to, yeah, sure, all right. So look how good God is. God gives her her son back. She takes him home. She raises him to whatever age, probably as a little boy or maybe a, 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 young, a young boy, before he goes back to the palace. And she gets paid at the same time for taking care of her own child. That's how good God is. Now I want to I, I just make some observations about this whole scenario very quickly. This whole thing was bathed in prayer before it ever began. It's a miraculous thing that's described here in the Bible, that a mom could put a baby in a basket, set him in the river, and a Pharaoh's daughter would come along, a princess, find him, spare his life, adopt him, and then give him back to his mama so she could feed him and raise him. Who, you couldn't write that. You couldn't make that up. Okay? But God did that. Why did he do that? because of a godly mother, because of a mother who saw something special in that boy and prayed and gave him to God and set him out there in the basket so that God could do with them what God wanted done. I want to tell you three things that I believe Jochebed did in the life of Moses. Number one, she laid a foundation. She laid a foundation. When she got Moses back and he sat in her arms or on her knee as she raised him to an age where he would go to the palace, what do you think she talked to Moses about? Son, let me tell you a story about when you were born. They were killing all the male babies back then. And I prayed and I asked God what to do with you. And I trusted God and we put you in this little basket and set you out in the river. What, Mom? You did what? Yeah, we put you in a basket and we set you out in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter came along and found you and had compassion on you and 
gave you back to me so I could raise you before you go to the palace. God did that for you. I would suggest she took time to tell Moses as he sat on her knee and as she sat at his feet, as he sat at her feet, that she taught him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God's promises to Israel. And she taught him about Jehovah God who cared about his people and would not forsake his promises to them. And the Bible says that Moses knew that he was not Pharaoh's real, his daughter's real son. He knew who his people were. He knew he was a Hebrew. And where do you think he learned all that? From his mom. She laid the foundation of what Moses would be later in his life. I would suggest, ladies, that today you have that great responsibility to be able to lay the foundation in your children's lives, to be the first to teach them about Jesus Christ, to be the first to teach them about God, to be the first to talk about God and all that he is and his goodness to us, to be the first to lay in the heart of your children the truth of the gospel so that when they reach an age of accountability where they understand God will draw them to be saved. You have that great privilege. And Jochebed did that. She laid the foundation in Moses' life. Can I suggest to you today, if you're watching online or here today, don't waste that opportunity. Our children grow fast. I mean, it seems like just yesterday, Megan and Nathan were this big, and Hunter and Haley were six and seven years old. Now they're 24, 28, 15, and 16, and time flies by. If you missed the opportunity to lay the foundation, you can't go back and relay it later. You have to do it right the first time. The second thing she did, not only did she lay the foundation, but she built on it. She built on it. I believe that even though Moses went to live in the palace, there's no indication that he was forbidden from seeing his people or his family. In fact, we find when we read about the life of Moses that he was very familiar with the plight of the Hebrews. He was very familiar as a prince of Egypt, uh, living in the palace of the, of the slavery and the, and the weight that they carried. He was very familiar of his own family. He knew who his brother and sister were. He knew Aaron was his brother and he knew Miriam was his sister. And yet he's being raised in the palace. So on that foundation, I can only imagine that as, as Moses would visit his mom, Jochebed, she would continue to talk to him as a young man, as a, as a college-age man, as a young prince, and she would continue to talk to him about God. And I would suggest she even warned him about the dangers of the court and the power and the prestige and the money. And she warned him not to let those things rule his life. She encouraged him to seek the face of God in his life and to serve Jehovah. Can I suggest to you today that as our children get older, moms, that we continue to talk to them about God, that we talk about the law of God and the word of God and the moral code of God's word and how we are to be men and women who live in holiness and honor God. And we continue to say that to our older children, to our teenagers in particular, whom the world tries to steal from us. If you haven't noticed lately, the world is incredibly immoral. The world is upside down. The world calls right wrong and wrong right. And the world tries to tell us that, look, our, everything's open. It's whatever a person thinks. It's whatever they think of themselves and other people. That's what they can be. That's not what the Bible says. How can, how can we agree with what is so openly wrong in the Bible? No. 
we have to continue to talk to our older children, moms. And trust me, even your older children have a special, particular connection to you as mom. You think I'm kidding. My 24-year-old son calls his mom four times as much as he calls me. And that's okay. If you're watching this, it's all right. Your mama loves it, so keep calling her, okay? Megan calls her mama. Now, they talk to me. They talk to me plenty. But it's her phone they burn up all the time. Why? Because that's mama. And they talk to mama all the time. And they tell mama the problems. They tell mama everything. They're pretty smart, though. They know if they tell her, she's going to tell me. And if there's something they need, she tells me, and I give it to them. So I don't know how it works, but that's that dad's job, right? You, you take care of it. But moms, here's the point. Jacobed continued to pour into the life of Moses, even as he grew up. Think of the dangers Moses would have faced as a prince in Egypt. All the money. He's, he's, he's a millionaire. He's, in today's he has, he has all the resources he could ever want. He has the finest of everything. He's a, he's a military officer. He's a prince. He's a, he, every, he, you know, he, he's probably the good-looking young man. He's the, he's the guy on campus. He could have had all the world has to offer. But his mom warned him. His mom said, son, be careful because that stuff in the world is a dead end. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Follow him. You know what we should tell our young people today? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Live a life that honors him. Don't live it for yourself. Live a life that honors him. And then finally, she modeled what she taught him. She lived in front of Moses the kind of life she told him to live. Moms, dads, this is probably the most important one. Our kids, our, our young people, are far more likely to do what they see us do than what we just say to them. We, listen, we have to set the standard, God's standard, in our lives. And we have to walk it. Because when our kids see us walk it, they'll say, man, that's real. Statistics say that our young people are fleeing the church at an incredible rate today that the next generation is walking away from the church. Statistics are, are depressing to read that. I'm going to tell you why I think that is, and I lay it at the feet of moms and dads. Because, see, we're really religious. We come to church, stand at the right time, sit at the right time, say the right things, do the right things, sing the right kind of songs. We do all the perfunctory things. Uh, but those kids are watching at home. And what they see is they see a Sunday religion without a whole lot of substance the other six days of the week. And kids are not stupid. They go, that's phony. And it's religious exercise, and I don't want it. Conversely, conversely, you and I can live a life in front of our kids where they say, man, mom and dad's serious about following Jesus. And they're serious about serving Jesus on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday. And then that influences them to say, man, maybe I need to pay attention. Now I know and you know, when our kids get grown, they're adults and have to make their own decisions. But until they're 18, you have a lot of sway over their lives. 
I mean, think about it. Where are they going to go? They got nowhere to live and nothing to eat. And if it's a teenage boy, he'll stay for the food. Trust me. So you have you had the opportunity to pour into their lives and model it for them. Think about Jacobed's kids. Just think about her three. Think about this. They turned out pretty good. Moses, well, you know all about him, right? God used him in an incredible way, led Israel out of, out of, out of Egypt and led them over to the Lord the Promised Land. And Aaron, what do you know about Aaron? Oh, he just became the first high priest of Israel, okay? So we got, she's two for two so far. I mean, we got Moses, who's leading Israel out of Egypt. And then we got Aaron, who, who becomes the head of the priesthood. And Miriam, what do you know about her? Oh, she was just a prophetess and a songwriter and a, and a worship leader. And uh, what I'm telling you is, if you want to follow a pattern, ladies, of a godly woman who knew how to pray, and knew how to influence the lives of her children. You don't have to look much far past Jochebed. All three of her kids turned out pretty good. You say, well, what made them turn out was pretty good? Because they followed God. And God did with them what God wanted to do with them, but she laid the foundation. She built on the foundation, and she modeled it for them. Let me close with this. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. The writer to the Hebrews is talking about faith. Listen to what he says about Moses, this baby in a, in a bulrush ark whom God preserved. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, when he grew up, when he was a man, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Boy, that's big. That's major. Here's the crossroad Moses stood at. Listen, and most people would fail this test. I can have everything in the world, everything. Or I can give it all up and follow God and be with the slaves. That was his choice. I can have everything this world has to offer or I can follow God's call in my life. And listen, dealing with Israel was no easy task. Just read the, man, they were turning against it. What a choice. What does it say? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, verse 25. Choosing rather, listen, to suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's the decision I want all my kids to make. To whatever degree. Now, most of our kids will never have to make the kind of decision Moses made. But that's the kind of decision I want them to be equipped to make. Follow God, not the world. Moms, and it starts with you. It starts with you. Look at the rest of this, verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith he passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. Jacobet laid the foundation, built on it, modeled it. Moses became a man of faith. Moses became a man of faith, and God moved the world with them. Moms and dads, our generation will pass. And then our kids, our young people, whom we pour the faith into, have to carry the gospel to the next generation in their life. 
Are we equipping them to do that? Are we leading them to do that? Are we laying a foundation, building on it, and modeling it for them? If you're here today, moms, dads, you say, boy, I, I don't know if I've been doing a very good job, but I want to. Listen to me. The first thing that has to happen is you have to know that you're saved before you can help your kids. You have to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ before you can pour into the life of your children. You can't lead them to Jesus unless you know Jesus. Mom, Dad, you saved today? You know for a fact, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that you got Jesus in your heart. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've confessed your sin, asked Jesus Christ to save you, and make you a different man or woman. If you are saved, then you can pour that faith into your kids. Then you can teach them, and you can show them the way. If you've never been saved, would you pray to receive Christ right now online? Would you bow right now as you watch online? Would you pray to receive Jesus Christ? Jesus died on the cross to save you. Would you ask him to save you today? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our mothers. Thank you for godly mothers, God, who lay a foundation in, in your word, in, in the Bible, in, in your, your inerrant, infallible God for life. God, not only do they lay that foundation, but they build on it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And God, as they build on that foundation, they model it. They walk before their sons and daughters with integrity, with holiness, with a commitment and a passion to serve you, Lord, that they can see. And God, that'll make a difference as we influence our children to follow you. God, ultimately, our children have to come to you by faith and be saved just like everybody else. But God, help us, help us as moms and dads to lay a foundation, to lay a foundation of faith and help us, God, to build on it every day and help us to live it so that they can see it. God, you can do great things. You spared the life of a baby boy floating in the river. You moved a woman to have compassion on him and to spare his life. God, you did all that. You gave him back to his mother so she could feed him and raise him. God, you can do miracles in the lives of our children. You can do it, God, and we ask you to do that. Bless every mom and dad here today. Bless the mothers today, God. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for the sacrifices they, they give for our lives, Lord. They wash our clothes. They cook our food. They clean the house. And many times they do all that while working outside the home. They mend broken skin and broken hearts and broken feelings. And, Lord, they bring comfort and encouragement. Thank you for mothers. I pray today if there's someone who needs Jesus or right now, that we pray to accept Christ, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Stand as we sing. I'll be glad to pray with you here if you need to come.